Welcome to Woking Up. White supremacy, white, white, white supremacy is the fringe of the fringe. This is a mini-series brought to you by Polite Conversations. All of a sudden we can't talk about Neanderthal DNA anymore. Here I'll talk about my journey into and out of being a new atheist Sam Harris fan. In and of itself, in and of itself, that video is not evidence praises. I'm your ex-Muslim host, Ina. No, not the right-wing kind. Thank you for tuning in. This is how the left will die. Hello there, dear listeners. We're back with Woking Up 10. Another unexpected detour from my scheduled Woking Up topics. You know, before the tragic, horrific events of October 7th, I thought... I was going to jump in for one sort of main closing episode of Woking Up and start wrapping things up with this miniseries. But it appears the podcast gods had other plans because Sam has been pumping out so much bullshit at such an incredible pace that I've been inundated with requests to cover it. I mean... Just in one month, he's pumped out four back-to-back episodes, each more demented and bloodthirsty than the last. And this is just on his own show. Four episodes of basically pure Israeli propaganda, which I guess falls nicely in line with his perpetual anti-Muslim hate boner, but it truly has been incessant. It's... (laughs) It's a painful time to be a Harrisologist. There are simply not enough of us out there, probably because it's a gross and slimy subject to specialize in. You kind of want to shower after every sickening, slippery sentence you hear in that overly Xanaxed voice. But yeah, so on October 12th, he put out The Sin of Moral Equivalence, where he talked about how civilized and ethical Israel was in its mass murder and how barbaric its enemies were. Already by that point, the slaughter was unbelievably horrific. I covered that one in my previous episode of Woking Up. Then, on November 3rd, he put out the infernal logic of jihad. Because, you know, that's the one thing he thought was important to talk about as Palestinians and their babies were continuously being massacred in the thousands. Then, on November 7th, he put out the bright line between good and evil. Because, you know, he can't get enough of parroting Netanyahu's genocidal children of light versus children of darkness bullshit. And this episode was particularly vile even for him in a time of rising violent anti-Muslim hate. He is taking the time to stress all his most dangerous generalizations about Islam and paint all Muslims as tacitly endorsing jihadism because they believe in the same Islamic scriptures as violent jihadists. You can sense the panic and desperation almost at having this 
opportunity to further exacerbate anti-Muslim hatred in a politically charged climate such as this. I've rarely seen him so repetitive in such a short period of time. Like, he really, really wants his audience to buy into it. He needs it. And that's not it. On November 16th, he put out Gaza and the Global Order, where he talked about the unraveling of the global order because, you know, everyone just won't fall in line and just accept what Israel is doing. And aside from all that, there's the three-hour monstrosity we'll be covering, at least in part, today. I wish I could cover it all in, in one go, But alas, I am just one person who also likes to make episodes on other topics, and I simply don't have the budget to produce at an even faster pace. You can, however, help with that. If you sign up via patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes, you get early access to episodes, and on the premium tiers, you get even earlier access and some premium exclusives too, like my brand new miniseries on the global far right. You also get to help ensure that polite conversations generally survives. And if enough of those who listen, and I know thousands do listen to the show, if even a small fraction helps support the work, it would go a long, long way. And believe me, the show really, really needs it right now because I need to decide whether I'm going to keep this project going or if I need to shut it down and replace it with better paying work. So it's an important time. Down the road, if even more people support it, maybe someday I could hire some help. That would be a dream, and it would, like, speed things up a lot. Anyway, if you like it and want to see more, please consider supporting the show. And now, where were we? Oh, yes. Well, guess what, guys? The gang's back together. I just simply had to do this one, also because my loving premium patrons voted for this one. Today you'll be hearing a bit of a two for the price of one. Eric Weinstein and Sam Harris got together again over on the very intelligently named and not at all teenage edgelord levels of embarrassing trigger podcast. You get it? It's because the wokes are so easily triggered and trigonometry is some intelligent sounding math thing. So you get to sound smart while making fun of the SJWs for being triggered. <laughs> it's so brilliant, isn't it? Oh, oh yeah. Okay, so today we'll be doing the IDW Pushes Israeli Propaganda edition of Woking Up. Look, look, it's no coincidence that their interest in skull shapes, birth rates, phrenology, great replacement conspiracy theories line up so nicely with the IDF's creepy-ass sperm retrieval unit and generally awful supremacist views. The first thing I want to mention is the audacity of the fucking thumbnail that went with this two-part, three-hour-long YouTube circle jerk. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you want to take a look, I will link a tweet of the image in the show notes, but 
Make sure you aren't mid-sip into a beverage or something because that will not stay in place. For those who won't bother looking it up, understandably, let me just describe it. Though I think no description could quite capture the I love the smell of my own farts feel of this image. But let me let me try. Two incredibly smug, fairly close-up faces, Sam on the left and Eric on the right. Between them is an image of two flags, Palestine on the left side touching Sam's head and Israel on the right touching Eric's head. Below the flags it says, How do we, then in all caps, solve this? How do we solve this? Giving the impression that these two utter morons, still trapped in the phrenology era, have something of value to say on the topic that may even offer a solution to an issue as delicate and difficult as peace in the Middle East. And never mind the weirdness of the split between the Israeli and Palestinian flags in the thumbnail with Eric on one side and Sam on the other, making it look as if they were arguing on opposite sides of the issue and Sam happened to be on the pro-Palestinian side, I can assure you that is very much absolutely not the case. Just picture it. It is an unreal image. I get secondhand embarrassment from just looking at it. I cannot imagine being featured in such a cringe image. My God. But I mean, it fits right in with like Eric's claims about how long form podcasting will literally save civilization or something. So yeah, all right, let's uh, get into it. And you can see for yourselves just how far from solving this they are. Of course, Sam begins with his now incredibly repetitive and obscene point, especially in the face of what is currently happening right in front of our eyes. The most obvious error that people will make now is to imagine that body count is the only measure by which that the moral balance swings, right? So if Israel goes into Gaza and uh, inadvertently kills more people, uh, inadvertently kills more people, inadvertently, inadvertently, uh, inadvertently kills more people than were killed on their side, they've done, they've done too much by definition. You hear that word inadvertently? It's sure doing a lot of work there, eh? We can see just how inadvertent their targeting of journalists and their families is, of hospital upon hospital and refugee camps is. That's, just, that's wrong in all kinds of ways, but the, the, the obvious way that it's wrong is that it completely ignores what people are actually attempting to achieve on both sides, what kind of world they're attempting to build, what their intentions actually are. You see, that is just insulting. The intelligence of the listeners. Though, to be fair, I mean, what kind of people actually take these clowns seriously anymore, eh? I briefly touched on this point in the previous Woking Up too. It's 
ludicrous. He thinks that this is still a valid excuse. This episode he's on was released on October 20th, 2023. If it was recorded a week before even, that was enough to see the kinds of indiscriminate bombing Israel was doing on innocent civilians. The kinds of eliminationist extreme rhetoric being spouted by Israeli officials. What kind of world does he expect people to believe Israel wants to build, to build, with that happening right in front of us? Many are calling for Gaza to be razed to the ground, to be uninhabitable. So that's certainly not the civilized, enlightened world he wants the listener to buy into. It's not the building of anything. It's depraved destruction. And more and more, as Israeli cruelty comes into the public consciousness, as more people are educating themselves about the kinds of horrors that Palestinians have endured for decades, this is a very silly, unbelievable position to take in the very face of the carnage we see before us. He thinks it's so easy to do this obviously biased moral calculation where on the one side, every murder of every Palestinian child is inadvertent. And on the other, even non-Hamas Palestinians revel in the destruction of Jews. Not because it's Jewish Israelis oppressing them for decades, pouring concrete in their wells, not allowing them to even collect fucking rainwater, welding their doors shut because they can't walk on certain streets, arresting their underage children under false or dubious pretenses, and often physically or sexually abusing them in prison with impunity, with no accountability from the global community, held with no trials, no convictions. Despite all that, he wants you to believe it's because of some ancient ancient, civilizational, Islamically embedded anti-Semitism. It's not the direct thing that's happening to them that might cause them to have hate for their oppressors and to use scripture to justify it. Not that. But the indirect, more abstract thing commanded from Allah. Because we all know Muslims are just religiously programmed robots who follow and memorize their scripture to a T. And don't pick and choose like any other modern day theist. And I'm not saying that justifies the broad anti-Semitism. I'm just saying that it's a different thing in this case entirely from the deep-rooted, scripturally embedded hate it's made out to be. It's also very interesting to me that as an OG new atheist, who's supposed to have an interest in criticizing religion as a whole. There are so many ways that religion intersects here, with not just the Islam and Jihad aspect, the Holy Land and the birthright aspect, the evangelical Christian Zionist aspect. There are so many important, interesting conversations one could have around those, but the one-dimensional, shallow-ass, intellectually incurious genius brain here has one line. 
Does he mention the unhinged evoking of Amalek by Netanyahu, a biblical call for killing every man, woman, and child? I mean, you want to talk about holy war, talk about all the kinds of it being invoked right now. Does he mention the Israeli communications minister quoting scripture about how their warriors will only return after they have cut off all the enemy foreskins? Totally normal fucking minister there, right? Not to mention, that guy should really look up what the Islamic practice around foreskin is. It's just so easy in Sam's mind to decontextualize everything related to the struggle and suffering of Palestinians and bring it round to his Islam bad, Muslimics bad, must destroy lens. This moral calculation is full of shit and falls apart with even the barest scrutiny. If you even scratch slightly beneath the surface, One thing is obvious. Israel for decades, if it had wanted to perpetrate a genocide against the Palestinians, could have done that on any given day, right? It would have been trivial. Tomorrow, they could kill everyone in Gaza if they wanted. They obviously haven't wanted that. They obviously don't want to do that now. If you reverse that balance of power and ask what would Hamas do, what would jihadist organizations anywhere do, uh, they would kill all the Jews. And they, and they have told us that ad nauseum. The fucking audacity. Seriously, I mean, they are fucking trying right fucking now, Sam. They have not exactly been hiding it. Here's a compilation of explicitly genocidal things said by both Israeli and American officials from my previous Polite Conversations episode demonstrating just that. The the majority of people who were killed were Hamas terrorists. People are saying this number, 12,000 people were killed. Yes, this is the Hamas is an army of 40,000 people and many of them were killed and, and good riddance. of human suffering that's 100% man-made. It is the the worst humanitarian catastrophe I've experienced in my lifetime. Cabinet ministers like Yov Gallant, the defense minister, who said Israel was fighting human animals and ordered a complete siege on the Gaza Strip. No electricity, no food, no fuel. Or heritage minister, Amikai Ilahu, who said blow up and flatten everything in the north of Gaza and give that land to Israeli settlers. Or Israeli president Isaac Herzog, who suggested that the innocent civilian population of Gaza, 2.3 million people, half of them children, weren't so innocent because they could have risen up against Hamas. It's an entire nation out there that is responsible. It's not true. This rhetoric about civilians not not aware, not involved, is absolutely not true. Very puzzled by the constant uh, concern which the world is showing for the Palestinian people and is actually showing for these horrible, inhuman animals. There's an acronym that is unique to the Gaza Strip, and it's called it's WCNSF. Wounded child, no surviving family. Children, and it is used not infrequently in the last three weeks. It was coined in the last three, three weeks. 
members of Benjamin Netanyahu's governing party in the Israeli Knesset, like Reverend Tal Gottlieb, who called for the use of a quote-unquote doomsday weapon to flatten Gaza without mercy. Serving and retired Israeli generals like Hassan Alian, who also referred to animals in Gaza and said, there will only be destruction. You wanted hell? You will get hell. Or Giora Island, who wrote that Israel needs to create a humanitarian crisis in Gaza, and Gaza will become a place where no human being can exist. We are at 10,000 dead Palestinians. How many will be enough? I also, one of my colleagues just said all of them. Wow. One of my colleagues said all of them. I would encourage the other side to not so lightly throw around the idea of innocent Palestinian civilians, as is frequently said. Uh, I don't think we would so lightly throw around the term innocent Nazi civilians. Gaza's going to look like Tokyo and Berlin at the end of World War II when this is over. And if it doesn't look that way, Israel made a mistake. I don't even want to call it the Palestinian flag because they're not a state, they're a territory that's about to probably get eviscerated and go away here shortly as we're going to turn that into a parking lot. That's what we've become in this state where we don't care about innocent babies that don't even get the opportunity to blow out their first birthday candle. I don't think there's any way Israel can be expected to coexist or find some diplomatic off-ramp uh, with these savages. It's targeting healthcare facilities, ambulances, churches, mosques, schools, refugee camps, densely populated refugee camps, wiping out entire families in a second, entire multi-generational extended families in a second. I, I don't see any other option. It's a terrible option, but it remains the only option. Like he really just wants to ignore all that. Charter of Hamas said that explicitly. It looked forward to a time where where Quranic prophecy would be realized when the earth itself would cry out against the Jews, where, where the, the rocks and the trees would say, oh Muslim, there's a Jew behind me, come kill him, right? So as he talks about the founding charter of Hamas, and fuck Hamas, they are very clearly an Islamist terrorist organization that is cruel and indefensible and very clearly doesn't even care about the well-being of its own people. But I think it's important to mention when we talk about the founding charter of Hamas that, and you don't have to believe them, but they did officially moderate their stance from that founding charter. It could have been for purely strategic reasons and to gain more political power. It likely was. I mean, whatever their reason was, according to the BBC in 2017. At a press conference in Doha, where he lives in exile, the Hamas leader, Khalid Mishal, also stressed a change in approach to the Jewish faith. Hamas believes our struggle is against the Zionist occupation, the Zionist enterprise. It's not a struggle against Jews or Judaism, he said. The indications are that Hamas wants to improve its international standing. It has dropped all references to the Muslim Brotherhood since Egypt and some Gulf Arab states decided to categorize the wider organization as a terrorist group. 
whatever their motivations were, as bullshit as they were. Because, yeah, they are very likely not dropping the anti-Semitism, but want to appear more respectable. It's still something that is worth mentioning in the context of all this if you truly want to understand the situation and the politics at play here. And it's also worth mentioning the original Likud Charter. Likud as in the right-wing party that Netanyahu belongs to. So, the original charter states, A plan which relinquishes parts of western Eretz Israel undermines our right to the country, unavoidably leads to the establishment of a quote-unquote Palestinian state, jeopardizes the security of the Jewish population, endangers the existence of the state of Israel, and frustrates any prospect of peace. And also states, Judea and Samaria will not be handed to any foreign administration between the sea and the Jordan. There will only be Israeli sovereignty. So that's like the river and the sea chant, but not just for freedom. You see that, right? Only Israeli sovereignty. So, it's basically bend the knee or prepare to get fucked. Those things are worth mentioning, I think, if you want to go beyond Islam bad. The later version of their charter was a little more vague, but you can see Likud's politics and politicians in action right now. So... That the, the difference in intention, while people think intention is this, is this um, abstraction, intention is the software that everyone is running. Intention is the best predictor of what people will do if they're given an opportunity to do it, right? If they have the power to do it, if they have the technology to do it. Yeah, Sam, what do you think the intention of the people in power in Israel is? right now. What do you think the intention is of the IDF as they state their genocidal intent again and again and again? What difference is there except for a paper-thin guise of respectability that Israel has? Same genocidal intent, but a lot more power and backing to carry it out, and currently taking very violent actions to do just that. But please, do go on. What was it that you were saying about the difference in intent? Um, what will a jihadist organization do if it gets nuclear weapons? What will a jihadist organization do if it gets you know, a, a viable bioweapon, right? We know the answers to these questions. These people have been telling us this for as long as I've been alive. Now, what was that he said about how concerning it would be if jihadists got a viable bioweapon? And it certainly would be. No denying that. That is a deranged, bloodthirsty ideology. But, but, here are some words from former IDF general, who was also former head of the Israeli National Security Council, Giora Island, that he wrote in an unhinged newspaper column, which the Israeli finance minister also quote tweeted and said he agreed with every single word of. 
the international community is warning us against a severe humanitarian disaster and severe epidemics. We must not shy away from this. After all, severe epidemics in the south of Gaza will bring victory closer. There's no reason why Hamas generals in southern Gaza wouldn't surrender when they have no fuel, no water, and when plagues will reach them and the danger to the lives of their family members will increase. There it is, Sam. Genocidal rhetoric complete with a desire to intentionally bring about plagues and epidemics. Not exactly a bioweapon, but pretty fucking close. And remember, the South is where they told people to flee to, where it would be safe, and then they started bombing there. Here's a bit more from that column. But we must not, absolutely must not, adopt the American narrative that, quote-unquote, permits us to fight only Hamas fighters instead of doing the right thing to fight against the entire opposing system because it is precisely its civil collapse that will bring the end of the war closer when senior Israeli figures say in the media, it's either us or them. We should clarify the question of who is them. They are not only Hamas fighters with weapons, but also the quote-unquote civilian officials, including hospital administrators and school administrators, and also the entire Gaza population who enthusiastically supported Hamas and cheered on its atrocities on October 7th. He also says, Israel is not fighting a terrorist organization, but against the state of Gaza. And... Israel must therefore not provide the other side with any capability that prolongs its life. And who are the quote-unquote poor women of Gaza? They are all the mothers, sisters, or wives of Hamas murderers. It is so beyond fucked up to put that deranged rant in a newspaper And when they say the entire Gaza population who enthusiastically supported Hamas and cheered on its atrocities, do you think they're going to check the opinions and actions of everyone in a certain building before they bomb it? Do you think the premature babies who suffered because their incubators couldn't run without power, do you think those are enthusiastic Hamas supporters? I mean, they aren't even hiding their intent. And here's this propagandist bootlicker, Sam Harris. Do tell us more about their noble intent and the kind of world they are trying to build as they are themselves publicly cheering on the collapse of the entire Palestinian population. Sam seems to genuinely think it's very commendable that in his view, Israel hasn't done a full-scale genocide till now. Some sort of uh, indicator of how civilized they are even. I think it's perfectly reasonable to expect better from and hold to a higher moral standard a supposedly civilized liberal democracy than a group of jihadist terrorists because they're terrorists. The fact that Sam is even having to make the case that Israel is better, actually, really says a lot. We know the answer. 
answers to these questions. These people have been telling us this for as long as I've been alive, and, 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 and in isolated cases, absolutely proven to a moral certainty their commitment to nihilism and massacre. When you talk about especially Hamas's commitment to nihilism and massacre, do you maybe think that having nothing to lose under such oppressive circumstances could breed nihilism? Sometimes it's really just the simplest answers. Jihadism is a is a um, a fairly unified concept. You know, whatever the methods, whatever the the, the methods and the and the uh, past behavior, and. We just have to acknowledge that there is a subset of people in the Muslim world who, for whom it is true, as they say of themselves, that they love death more than we love life. It's such a tired, bigoted trope at this point. Even Eric Weinstein isn't fully buying it, as you'll hear in a bit. There are videos upon videos of traumatized Palestinian children saying, we love life, we want to live, help us live in peace. Precisely because they're aware of these tropes, that even in their trembling, traumatized states, they're shouting about how much they love life and want to live. There are people who actually want to be martyred and have their and see their kids martyred, right? This is not, they're not bluffing. They're, they're perfectly willing to die for the pleasure and, and um, opportunity of killing non-combatants, intentionally killing non-combatants. There are, of course, jihadists who truly believe they are on some meaningful, holy suicide mission. And they do want to get martyred and fast-track their way to heaven. But that is not common. That level of literally wanting to die is not normal among Muslims at all. And these videos he's referring to of mothers or relatives who've just had someone blown up and they appear to be smiling and thanking God for making them a martyr, he just doesn't stop and think about the psychological effects that living in a war-torn and destabilized area for years, for decades, might have on someone. That they may reach for this scriptural bullshit about martyrdom as a comfort or coping mechanism that helps them believe their relative's death wasn't in vain, that there's a higher purpose or some eternal benefit for their sacrifice. He doesn't know how much they cried in the next minute after the camera turned off, and and maybe they're putting on a tough face for the camera in that moment, so their perceived enemies do not get any satisfaction from causing their family's pain. It's likely not because they literally love that their child or brother or whatever has died. It's that they are retroactively finding a reason, a justification, which people tend to do more so than absolutely loving it when their children or brothers get killed. It's just not a normal human response. And it's very telling that Sam genuinely believes that this subset of Muslims isn't just the families of the extremists or even innocent people who got blown up, finding something in scripture to cling to or give meaning to their deaths, but rather that the divine programming in the Quran is so bloody effective that even non-jihadists essentially just start loving death because of a weird robotic commitment to divine commandments. It's a way to 
other and dehumanize Muslims, that they don't grieve like normal people. They love it, in fact, if you kill their people. Think about that for a second. It doesn't add up. Like, for a neuroscientist, and it feels weird saying that because, like, I don't see him doing any science, really, just clinging to phrenology. I, I guess that was considered a science in some era. But, I mean, he's a podcaster, essentially, now, isn't he? <laughs> but, yeah, he really doesn't try to get at what is driving these sorts of beliefs. He just wants people to take Islamic extremists as much at face value as they can, to, to look at them on a very, very surface level. Oh, yes, religious extremist? It must therefore be only religion driving it. He wants you to believe all their propaganda wholesale while he comes up with excuse after excuse for why a white supremacist shooting up a mosque, one who left a lengthy manifesto, is not necessarily driven by ideology and why it's just trolling and why we can't take it seriously. It is really intriguing why he treats different extremism so differently. Hmm, can't quite put my finger on it. I, I cover that comparison in great detail uh, in my episode from a few years ago on Sam Harris's thoughts on white supremacy. If you want to check it out, I will link it in the show notes. He will never grant Muslims that level of humanity, where he thinks these are people and not robots running blindly on some faulty divine software. Oh, it is good to jihad. Let's jihad regardless of what is happening around us. Like, if you actually have an interest in combating or understanding extremism, do not fucking listen to this absolute moron. Every single genuine extremism researcher I have ever encountered either doesn't know who he is, and if they do, they do not have nice things to say about him. Either that, or he himself fights with them, or hates them, or undermines them for being too woke. So the, the moral error that people are going to make now, and they've, they've, they're already making it, is to think that when Israel tells people to evacuate northern Gaza, and they don't because Hamas is telling them not to do it, or it becomes practically impossible and Egypt doesn't let them out, etc. Um, Are you listening to this? It, is that why they don't leave, or is it because they think they're going to get bombed anyway? Like many who followed instructions and left for the South did. Or is it because if they leave once, they will never be allowed to come back to their homes, as has happened before, as was happening during the recent so-called pause? Are snipers inadvertently killing people as well? What about those sick and injured in hospital who cannot walk or stand being given an hour to evacuate? Are they not evacuating because Hamas told them not to or because they literally can't stand and evacuate here? Is of course a euphemism for a forced expulsion. Evacuate would imply they're being helped to get to safety. No, they're told to get the fuck out and they're targeted when they do. The only moral error I see here is how blindly Sam pushes this Israeli propaganda. And they drop bombs tra targeting 
uh, Hamas installations that have been purposefully put next to civilian areas that will cause carnage when, when Israel bombs them, like hospitals and schools and mosques. When Israel bombs those targets and kids die, which is obviously horrible. Wow, well... <laughs> Actually, I'm surprised he's even bothering to say that much with the way he's been cheering Israel on. You know, kudos for acknowledging that's horrible at the very least. Very extremely low bar that Sam will cross that I'm sure certain people will celebrate him for. Um, and they drop bombs tra targeting... Uh, Hamas installations that have been purposefully put next to civilian areas that will cause carnage when, when Israel bombs them, like hospitals and schools and mosques. When Israel bombs those targets and kids die, which is obviously horrible, that is the same thing as Hamas jihadists coming in under cover of rocket fire at dawn and murdering babies in their cribs. It's not the same thing. What? You don't think the IDF has bombed and murdered sleeping Palestinian babies in their cribs? It's not the same thing. And body count doesn't resolve okay. that disparity. Agreed. Yeah, the only thing that would resolve that disparity would be if the IDF all converted to Islam and the ones doing the bombings said they were doing it because of Islam. That would be the only narrow situation that Sam would accept that would resolve that disparity because bottom line, Islam, bad. It doesn't matter if Israel purposely, not accidentally, not inadvertently, bombs children, with officials explicitly cheering on and stating their genocidal intent time and time again, when they tell you who they are, believe them, doesn't seem to apply here in this case. It doesn't matter if they end up killing 500 Palestinian children per child that Hamas no doubt cruelly killed. Whatever calculation Sam is doing will always tip in favor of Israel because he has simply decided they are civilized and ethical no matter what they do. Knowing that it's impossible not to kill some innocent people when you're when you're trying to fight militants in a crowded city, right? As especially when those militants, based on their own completely deranged moral worldview, are committed to using their own people as human shields. Is he seriously still buying that and pushing that after the indiscriminate bombing we've seen, after we've heard officials say they want the whole place raised to the ground? Is all of Gaza behind one giant human shield or something? You think I'm making a very silly point here, exaggerating or something on purpose to stress something, but he pretty much actually believes this. Here's a clip from his Bright Line Between Good and Evil episode. Just the most ridiculous thing. But if a siege of this sort were possible, it would have obvious advantages. It would signal a clear commitment to not harming innocent civilians. Though some would inevitably be harmed, because Hamas is using their entire society as human shields. Because Hamas is using their entire society as human shields. Entire society, our entire society. And there's no question that some not so innocent civilians would arrive at humanitarian checkpoints as suicide bombers. 
entire society. Do you hear that? Entire society. It's ridiculous. Pure stupidity. So I guess that makes the entire society fair game to bomb then. It wasn't Israel's fault. It was Hamas. They used the entire society as one giant human shield. So, of course, genociding the entire society is in, inadvertent under those circumstances. What, what could they do? Human shields. All of them. All of them. And, of course, no mention of the fact that the IDF has been seen repeatedly using Palestinian children as human shields. Like, literally standing behind them. It is a well-documented practice. Sam clearly has no desire to examine these things as an unbiased, rational intellectual. He just mindlessly repeats these talking points, whether they apply in this situation or not. What value is anyone who hasn't drank that Kool-Aid getting from this? Here's an excerpt from Israeli human rights organization, Betselem. Since the beginning of the occupation in 1967, Israeli security forces have repeatedly used Palestinians in the West Bank and in the Gaza Strip as human shields, ordering them to perform military tasks that risked their lives. As part of this policy, soldiers have ordered Palestinian civilians to remove suspicious objects from roads, to tell people to come out of their homes so the military can arrest them, to stand in front of soldiers while the latter shoot from behind them. The Palestinian civilians were chosen at random for these tasks and could not refuse the demand placed on them by the armed soldiers. And here's another quote. During military incursions into Palestinian population centers, such as Operation Defensive Shield in April 2002, use of Palestinians as human shields became open military policy. As far as the, the moral you know, algebra that, that can give you insight into the difference between the two sides, that disparity is, says everything to me. Just amazing. His immensely flawed moral calculations are really something. I'm I'm picturing that uh, calculating GIF of the person counting on their fingers, looking confused, and there's all these like white shapes and numbers appearing around them. Yeah, yeah, that's Sam. You know, this is something I recently said on my own podcast, but if you just imagine the Israelis attempting to use their own non-combatants as human shields. Right, in any conflict against jihadists. No, no, Sam. They, they just use Palestinian civilians and children instead. I think Israel has to figure out how to navigate around that and eradicate jihadists. I would agree that the world would be an infinitely better place if we could figure out how to do this. But it has to be the dumbest solution ever to bomb innocents the children in their communities, because that will only feed the cycle of rage and violence. We're, we're confounded to some degree by our, our terminology here. We're, we keep talking about terrorists. And we, we, we had a war on terror for, you know, the, a quarter of a century now. Um, terrorism is a tactic. Terrorism is not the thing we're fighting. We're fighting jihad. What's the difference, Sam? Explain to people what the difference well, jihadism, is. Well, jihadism is the, the, um, the radical 
core of Islam. The radical core of Islam. 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 It is this, it is this principle of holy war that can be justified in various contexts. Ah, yes, there it is. That evoking of the barbarism of Islam. Always wanting to go back to Islam in general. Plant the seed that the problem is not extremism. It's not terrorism. It's Islam. He can't go 10 minutes without it. Yes, there are many, many millions of Muslims, thankfully, who would just, justify it in, in ways that we would recognize as something we could live with, right? So a, a defensive war, right? A just war, you know, just war theory. Okay, great. There are other Muslims who say, no, 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 you don't understand. Jihad is just an inner spiritual struggle. Okay, great. So you can almost hear the reluctance in his voice to acknowledge that there are, in fact, plenty of Muslims, majority, I'd like to stress, who don't interpret jihad in their scriptures as a call to violence or literal holy war. Okay, great. But then he has to follow that up with some samsplaining of Islam to those who clearly just don't understand that Islam is irredeemable, civilizationally incompatible with modernity. When will you wokes get that? Where then does that leave all the Muslims who don't interpret it in this way? Here's another clip from his The Bright Line Between Good and Evil podcast, where he basically says where it leaves them and how dangerous even those are, because they can change. There have been nearly 50,000 acts of Islamic terrorism in the last 40 years, and the French group that maintains a database of those attacks considers that to be an undercount. 90% of them have occurred in Muslim countries. Most have nothing to do with Israel or the Jews. There have been 82 attacks in France and over 2,000 in Pakistan during that period. You want France to be more like Pakistan? You just need more jihadists. You just need more people susceptible to becoming jihadists, which is a transformation that can happen very quickly, just as quickly as new beliefs can take root in a person's mind. You just need a wider Muslim community that doesn't condemn jihadism, but tacitly admits that the theology that inspires it will be true and perfect until the end of the world. It's really something, right? It's like the ultimate Martin Bailey. He starts off saying something reasonable sounding, terrorism bad, jihadism bad, totally. Everyone's on board, and then he switches it for, but we got to watch out for those Muslims because they all ultimately believe in that stuff. Anyway, back to this Eric and Sam episode. Historically and practically now, jihad has always, a component of jihad has always been you, you convert, subjugate, kill the infidel. Yes, that's what the extremists draw upon and believe. This jihad fetish of Sam's is so far removed from actual, regular, non-extremist Muslims. This is what he doesn't want to understand. They are people just like anyone else. They aren't actively trying to interpret jihad in any way at all. For most people, they don't even think about it, for fuck's sake. All my family and extended family are Muslim, and I'm pretty sure that no one is thinking about jihad. 
because that is so far removed from everyday activities. They are probably thinking about doing their prayers on time, how they can better practice, how they can make their day-to-day faith fit better with a busy schedule and modern values. Maybe some people are thinking about the implications of enjoying the occasional drink or, heaven forbid, porn or smoking pot. Uh, They are probably worried about the punishment they may get for that on the day of judgment, which, you know, is unfortunate. I wish no one would waste their time worrying about that, but fucking holy war, that's not a normal thing to even cross your mind. Muslims aren't reading and memorizing every bit of scripture on a daily basis. Hardcore ones might be extremists. But as a kid growing up in Saudi Arabia, I can tell you that the version of Islam we were taught was heavily curated. I didn't even know the existence of some of the nasty, violent verses in scripture till I was an atheist because many people try not to reference that because it is instantly off-putting. Many Muslims who don't speak Arabic are still required to read the Quran in Arabic, essentially making it so they don't understand what they're reading. That was the case for most kids I knew in Saudi, because we, the expats I knew, weren't Arab. And most people don't really seek out translations unless they are truly dedicated to learning about scripture. But despite all that, yes, Islam does command a higher level of orthodoxy in a general sense than many other religions in the present day, especially Abrahamic ones. That's something, you know, I have issues with too. If bigots like Sam would give us the space to talk about it, I'd love to talk about it more. But the truth is that fundamentalists are the ones who draw on the awful parts of scripture to justify their awful violent views, beliefs, and actions across the board. But there are other parts. There are parts that are benign with good messages even. That's what Sam doesn't want you to understand. In fact, he wants you to think the opposite, that there aren't many benign parts. I hate this rigid new atheist bullshit so much at this point in my life because it's it's so removed from the truth. I hate that my anger and understandable anger towards religion made me kind of fall for it and go down that path for a couple years. But currently, I really hate this new atheist bullshit for putting people like me in the position of having to clarify, explain, and be on the defensive about a religion we left and have no love for, because that's how unhinged and over-the-top their so-called criticism is. I would really like to participate in some normal critique of the religion I left behind. But I'm left with no opportunity or space to do so, because with every breath I have to debunk this bigoted bullshit that just seeks to paint Muslims as various degrees of extremists and literalists when they are normal, flawed human beings like any other theist. They drink, they smoke pot, they can be fundamentalist, or they cannot. But they certainly aren't this dedicated army that is struggling to justify the concept of jihad on a daily basis. Many have never even thought about it because jihad doesn't come up, as I said, in modern everyday life for most people very often. It fucking never did for me or the other Muslim kids I grew up with. It certainly exists as a concept. Evil people use it when they want to justify evil, but most people don't. 
I mean, you have violent shit in all sorts of ancient scriptures, but yet we don't judge all Westerners or Christians or Jews by their most violent murderous extremists. So why then this insistence on painting Islam as a unique evil when it really just got most of its ideas from the Abrahamic faiths that came before it? Islam is a religion of conquest. It views itself as a religion of conquest. I am so fucking tired. Okay, and Christianity is not missionaries, colonialism, the Crusades. And Judaism is not the whole chosen people, God-given right to the holy land narrative the settlers use to snatch homes from people. What's that? It, it, it expects to win these, these, these contests for believers at the, you know, at the end of time. And it has an expl- explicitly uh, martial ethic, which is uh, we have to win through force. Right? And we're happy to die trying. Islam is not alive, Sam. It can't have a single unified message. It can't itself expect to win anything. Islam is really what its followers make of it. And there's a lot of them. And they have plenty of disagreements among themselves. Sure, Islam's got certain things written down. But the complexity of any ancient faith that I personally wish people would outgrow, it is that it is always changing and evolving according to the situation around it, the era and location it exists in, what people choose to focus on in a certain time or place. You can see currently that British Islam is certainly very different from North American Islam. South Asian Islam was very influenced by its proximity to Hinduism, but unfortunately it is being increasingly Saudiized And that looks very different. I've seen the changes in my own lifetime. People have started dressing differently, speaking and pronouncing things differently. So as much as Sam would like to paint it as such, Islam is not a monolith. I hate so much being the messenger on this side of things. It puts me in a personally uncomfortable position to have to be on the defensive about Islam being misrepresented. But with fascism and anti-Muslim hate crimes that come for people like me and my family, I have to make the responsible choice and counter people like Sam, hoping someday there will be space in the West for people like me who abhor racism and anti-Muslim bigotry, but would also like to voice our concerns with the religion we left behind. The current ex-Muslim movement has done nothing to help create that space. It has, in fact, just been empowered by and benefited from being the mouthpiece of bigots like Sam. We're happy to throw our, our bodies and the bodies of our children into this because this life is a total illusion. It is, has absolutely no value. This is just a, a anteroom on the, on the thresholds of either heaven or hell. And the only thing that matters is where you go after you die, right? And only the true believers uh, go, go to paradise. He's still talking about Islam here. Remember, not extremists or fundamentalists. He's talking about Islam as a whole being a religion of conquest. 
He's taking what extremist jihadists use to justify their violence and extrapolating that onto the whole religion. And if you know anything about theists, they aren't always unified in their understandings or interpretations. And you have to be a very specific kind of extremist to be sacrificing your own children like that. And to paint it as something that is a natural conclusion of following Islam is just, as I said before, another method of dehumanizing Muslims. It's so clear especially given that he won't really engage with what Hamas's very clear political goals are even. They aren't doing this violence just because they read in scripture that they should kill Jews and that will send them to heaven. That's just not reality. They have clearly stated goals. They see themselves as fighting for the liberation of Palestine. Whether one agrees or not, that's just how they see themselves. They see the Israelis as the aggressors and oppressors. You don't have to agree with their perspective to at least acknowledge that is their perspective. They are not on a blind holy war to just get to heaven. It's so stupid and vapid to describe it that way. They are, through these horrendous, sick methods, trying to achieve some specific goals related to their region and their freedom. Um, it's impossible to make a moral error when you're a jihadist, right? If you die, it's good. If your family dies, it's good. If the infidel dies, it's good. This is a death cult. And we have been lying to ourselves you know, in the secular West that there's some other logic, some other variable that explains this behavior. It's economics, it's politics. These are I think most people, including most regular moderate Muslims, would agree that jihadism is a death cult. It impacts Muslim countries, like, much more often. Its goal and purpose is, is killing and death. It's certainly there in the scriptures if they want to justify it like that. It's there for the taking. But most people adhering to those same scriptures don't take that message. And it is getting rather ridiculous that even years later, Sam still insists there are no other factors at play here other than religion. Especially in an obvious case like Hamas, the direct result of decades of severe barbaric oppression. But no, he is living on another fucking planet where the IDF truly is the most moral army in the world. And Israel, even as they murder thousands of children indiscriminately, purposely, are a lonely outpost of civilized ethics in the moral wasteland that is the Middle East. So we're not dealing with someone who actually wants to understand what's happening here beyond spouting their favorite simplistic narrative about one religion being uniquely evil. The, the, the assumption is that when you see people behaving in this extraordinarily destructive and you know, psychopathic way, they must have been pushed there by some awful treatment that would explain it, right? This must be ordinary human rational behavior in extremis, right? These people have been so tortured by the occupation, by the, the apartheid state of, of Israel, by the open-air prison of Gaza. I mean, these, these phrases that are now, you know, used reflexively in the media. There he goes, obviously dismissing the extent of cruelty Palestinians have faced 
doesn't provide any backing for his dismissal, not a single reason to dismiss these phrases he's so annoyed about being used reflexively. Like, what is your issue with those phrases, dude? Lay it out. I'm not saying I'm not saying life in Gaza isn't horrible. I'm not saying it's not intolerable. We can talk about that. Which he, of course, doesn't at all beyond just uttering things like this. We can talk about that. Okay, Sam, let's talk about it. This is the time when when you're having this discussion. He doesn't ever. But there's a layer of this phenomenon and of this behavior that we've been living with, uh, you know, most clearly since September 11, 2001, but it obviously precedes that. Yes, but even in the context of September 11th, as atrocious and horrendous that inexcusable act was, there was more to it than God told me to, so I'm going to do this, and I'll get to heaven real fast. There was more to it than that. There were grievances and political goals, however awful or cruel or wrong. They still existed. Like, I don't know how you can ignore that. Which is explained only by the religious ideology. Which is explained only by the religious ideology. Only by the religious ideology. Only by the religious ideology. Which is explained only by the religious ideology, right? When people are doing the unthinkable, Again, you can find so many cases where they're doing it without grievance, right? Where somebody drops out of the London School of Economics to go join the Islamic State for the pleasure of killing Yazidis and, you know, raping their women, right? It's just, this is, and this is what's happening, you know, ad nauseum, right? You have, from a hundred countries. Only, you hear that? Only by the religious ideology. You think it's like some caricature of his position, but no, it's actually his position. I mean, it may be one factor, certainly, and I'm happy to criticize that in a reasonable good faith discussion, but it's absolutely not the only factor. Why can he not comprehend this basic point? I can't believe he's still pushing this view. It has not evolved in like decades, it seems, and it doesn't help anyone actually understand the mindset behind such things. And all this is only in his desire to make Islam a unique evil, a danger to society. That's what he wants to plant in your head. Like if it's happening with people from a hundred different countries, like he said himself, is it really because Islamic Jihad programming is that effective that people from around the world are just dropping their careers, educations, and converting? Of course, you can find all sorts of examples among jihadists. You can even find young white European girls being attracted to joining ISIS. There may be all sorts of reasons at play. Some truly might be psychopaths who take pleasure in killing and they find this a way to achieve that. Maybe some are searching for purpose, for community, for brotherhood, sisterhood, as many people ending up in extremist groups often are. People who are vulnerable to joining such groups or cults are are not regular, well-adjusted, happy people. Anyone who studies extremism seriously will tell you there is often a search for identity and community and purpose at play. With Hamas, though, it seems very obviously directly related to the cruelty and occupation. You know, almost every single word he uttered in this conversation, I could go on at length 
about why I think it's so harmful or so ignorant or bigoted. One of the harder parts of putting this episode together was actually trying to narrow down what quotes to focus on. Because all of this, all of it, is such utter BS. And with all his talk of death cults, I mean... It is worth mentioning just how depraved and gleeful the IDF seem when blowing people up. I just saw a clip of an IDF major dedicating the exploding of an entire building in Gaza to his two-year-old daughter for her birthday. And the number of personalized messages I've seen scrawled on missiles, tweeted by happy, gleeful people celebrating the act of murder. It's sickening how one-sided all his discussions on this topic are as the violence continues to unfold around us. Even during the pause, he can do nothing but use his large platform to put out propaganda and excuses and justifications and demonizations of Islam and Muslims. As they are being ethnically cleansed and mass slaughtered, it seems particularly sick and evil at a time like this. So this is what we saw Hamas do in Israel last week is a subset. It's just another example of that same behavior. Yes, it has this local political nationalistic uh, struggle over territory context, but that's not the thing that explains the behavior. Yeah, but that's not the thing that explains the behavior. Yeah, but that's not the thing that explains the behavior. Yeah, but that's not the thing that explains the behavior. All moderate Muslims, de- desperately, the world waits in desperation for moderate Muslims to get their heads around the problem of jihad. Look, I think moderate Muslims should make all the efforts to push back, educate, and counter this in their communities. But it's an odd framing right now, especially as innocent Muslims are being killed for Hamas's crimes. The intellectual incuriousness is what really gets me from a so-called rational intellectual. A toddler's analysis of religious extremism. It's not to Sam's point. Uh, I had a big disagreement in some sense with the way in which the new atheists took on the problem um, of jihad. And that is because it comes out of totalizing. Totalizing ideologies are really the problem. Um, There's a North Korean uh, totalizing ideology. There's a a jihadi totalizing ideology. Sorry to interrupt. Just for clarity, for these people who might not know, what does totalizing ideology mean? Well, what I mean in this case is is that there's an entire worldview which solves and addresses all of your issues. Um, How should we structure a family? What is the purpose of life? Uh, What risks may be uh, assumed? When when may one kill? You, You have an entire worldview effectively incompatible with the outside world. Finally, Sam shuts up for a bit, uh, and I'm certainly intrigued by the fact that Eric has a big problem with the way new atheists took on jihad. I think I'm following what he's saying about totalizing ideologies. All, all notions of tolerance of coming up with you know, two people who don't really agree, but agree enough in order to serve each other coffee and maybe marry into each other's families, you know, whatnot. Oh, 
no, what the fuck is he on about? Serving each other coffee and, and marrying into each other's families? Yeah, no, no, he lost me. I, I don't know. Um, there is a, a sort of way in which you're, you're open through moderation and through tolerance to the points of view of others within a relatively broad but still restricted spectrum. This is outside of that spectrum. So the, the issue is not Islam to me. The issue is totalizing ideologies that, that provide all answers. And there aren't that many of them left, right? Like Soviet communism died off. It was a totalizing ideology. Um, you see the art, the music, the, the, the cinema. You can, you can spend your entire life in a Soviet mindset uh, based on what was produced during that period. I, I'm, I'm not getting his whole point because he mixed in some nonsense uh, about serving coffee, but it seems to be less reductive still than Sam's Islam bad point of view. Not, to, not all totalizing ideologies are the same. No, they are. Right? So it's like, but it's, it's a, the, the, crude, the martyrdom wait, wait, completely changes the game theory. Uh, there, there we go. We, we almost went a few whole minutes without Sam's insistence that Islam is uniquely evil. Well, my, my, my first comment is, is that you're going to use words like Palestinians. You're going to use words like occupied patient, occupied territories. Somebody else might use Judea and Samaria. Somebody else might say Palestine. As soon as I know the language, I know that the arguments are going to be okay. All right. So he doesn't even like basic humanizing terms like Palestinians or realistic ones like occupation. He he's simply opting out of those terms. <laughs> what the fuck? This is not my language, and I don't believe these things. And I've agreed to be more or less silent uh, on a bunch of things while there was a peace process, because peace processes are, are about BS to a certain extent. You have to lie through a peace process in order to get something at the end of it, and that failed. You gotta love Eric's comically extreme narcissism and delusions of grandeur. Sure, bud, your silence in particular will have an impact on the peace process. And yeah, sure, the, the CIA wants to tell you, of all people, about the existence of aliens. So, you know, the first thing I'm going to say is I don't believe that this is an, uh, an occupied people. I don't believe that the Arabs are under occupation. Now, that's going to sound crazy because you're not exposed to any perspective that sounds like that. So how, how are, could you ever come to that conclusion? Yeah, Eric, it fucking does, considering the masses of evidence and blockades and settlements and control the Israelis have over Palestinian life. It's actually pretty fucking gross that he'd say that so blatantly. But, you know, who's surprised, really? You have groups of people who are offered a state who we are not listening to. They do not want the state that they are offered. They are offered a choice between a state and a chant. And if you know the chant, it's from the river to the sea. From the river to the sea is what they chose. You could have a state or you could have a chant. And they want the chant. Of course. There's no mention of the times Israel failed to uphold its commitments or the concessions made by Palestinians 
or Israel's refusal to stop expanding settlements? Like, what the fuck is this guy on about? Is he is he really saying they prefer a chant over a good faith attempt at achieving peace? I, I don't even I don't even know how to how to address that really. Like, they are the tip of the spear in the global battle against Western hegemony against an occupying European power in holy Arab land. And they're not going to give up on that as a collective political entity for a relatively modest, prosperous state trading with, with the occupier, with you know, joint economics, joint fate. That's very troubling to us because we have this idea of why wouldn't you want a state? You can have a state. You can be prosperous. You can send your kids to Purdue, you know? Again, what the fuck is he on about? Much like his 25-tweet thread with different pictures of faucets, he's not making it easy to decipher, like, what he means over here. Sam is reductive and bigoted, sure, but Eric is bigoted and incoherent and bizarre and and really proud of himself for sounding super smart like how exactly in eric's mind are palestinians the tip of the spear in the global battle against western hegemony i'd i'd love for him to expand on that but he doesn't is it because their plight which he refuses to even acknowledge is striking a chord with so many around the world is it is it because it's a very visible and obviously cruel situation if people learn about it is that what makes them the tip of the spear in the global battle? Is it because the dynamics are very, very blatantly colonizer and oppressed? He's clearly very sensitive to the idea that a quote-unquote European occupier or power should be resisted by the rest of the world, which is interesting in the context of his reactions to white supremacist attacks in the past, because his response was to scold the media about radicalizing these white supremacists by doing anti-white racism through things like BuzzFeed listicles that included the term whiteness on them, and he has insisted on multiple occasions that white men are under attack and victims of racism. His hatred for BLM is constant. There was a time he compared the protests after George Floyd to Kristallnacht and accused the black community of quote, monopolizing the issue of police brutality. And then he very weirdly proceeded to pit the issue of slavery against the Holocaust. As if anyone is taking the Holocaust less seriously because of the existence of BLM. That is not happening at all. Here's the clip. Brace yourselves. It is in part the job of the Jews not to go along with the crowd. And the crowd is out of control. The crowd that smashes glass is not only letting the white man know that violence is on tap because of the brutality, which I started this broadcast talking about. Fucking yikes. Like, like he's fantasizing about some race war or some shit. Because of the brutality, which I started this broadcast talking about, uh, has to be addressed. That broken glass sounds like Kristallnacht to every goddamn Jew in the world. And 
the uh, violence of the state. I should point out that you would think that 100% of the people lynched in the United States were black. Uh, the overwhelming number, 75% around, were black. But about a quarter of them were white, some of them Jews. God, I get, I get so much secondhand embarrassment listening to him say stuff like this. And monopolizing the problem of police brutality, making the assumption that this was a you know targeted killing just about race, that the pre-existing conditions didn't. I mean, look, this guy who killed this guy murdered probably. Uh, I don't need to, to prostrate myself in front of you and let you know that, of course, it's wrong because everybody knows it's wrong. I don't know anybody who stood up for this. Okay. The problem that we have now is critical feeling and critical thinking. If you want to tell me that slavery is such a problem and it's still a problem, how are you going to make the argument that the Holocaust that happened within living memory um, is a less significant event. Who is making that argument, Eric? I don't know a single person who has even tried to make that argument in relation to present-day racism or the history of slavery. It's such a weird point to try and make. Like, he's so fucking incoherent. Like, this is why I stay away from covering Eric for the most part, because he gives me a headache. What is even going on in his head? Like, I I can gather that he's desperately trying to weaponize anti-Semitism here in some way in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd, but it seems... It just seems so strange to do this in this context. Like, why even bring the Holocaust and Jews into this particular issue? Like, is that his way to minimize the issue of police brutality against black people specifically? Is he using the Holocaust to do an all lives matterification here? That would be such a gross thing to try and do. And an insult to the gravity of both issues. It's it's absurd. What is he doing? To defund the police is to put other communities at risk. And quite honestly, you're not the whole story. I don't even think this is mostly happening um, because this, uh, because of, of, of racism. This is someone who clearly, at least at this point, didn't understand what was meant by defund the police and didn't bother Googling it either before he went off on a public rant about it. He seems to be literally thinking that it meant uh, there should be some sort of free-for-all for criminals and no police in existence. I, I don't think that's quite what was being demanded and that, honestly, you're not the whole story. Sounds like some mean, jealous high schooler mad about someone else getting attention. It, it's It's ridiculous for an adult to be speaking this way. Not to mention, incredibly racist. But anyway, enough of the flashback of shitty, bigoted, narcissistic Eric from 2020. Now let's start wrapping up with more of shitty, bigoted Eric from 2023. If you think about motherhood, you don't think about Munchausen by proxy. Right? What do you do when you have a mother who comes to the hospital with a child who's continuously getting sick, you know, and getting harmed? You know, you have to ask, well, is it possible that the mother is harming the child? So you're about to see tiny children pulled out of rubble in 
northern Gaza. You're going to see it ad nauseum. You're going to see people rushing to the hospital. You're going to see mothers wailing. See, here, it just seems to me like he's normalizing what's going to happen, what is happening. He's just managing expectations. Like, yeah, that's what you're going to see. It's not, it's not Israel's fault, though. Again, this was released October 20th. You were definitely seeing enough of that already. So he's just excusing it and setting the tone for it to continue beyond vile. I don't, I don't know how these absolute ghouls sleep at night, honestly. The level of callousness it takes to just prepare your audience to see more of that. I, I, I just can't imagine. So we can talk about the whole thing about the martyrdom and how everybody prays that their family will be martyred. And you know what? Sometimes it's true. Sometimes you see on camera somebody saying, thank God they took my son, you know, blah, blah, blah. But those are actually much more complicated things. Sometimes you turn the camera off and the person is crying because they know what they're supposed to say and, and they know what they're actually feeling. So my, my problem with this is that this is so much more complicated than the, than the discussion we're pre-programmed to have that is guaranteed to fail. What's interesting to me is that he has moments of lucidity, seemingly, where he recognizes humans, even Muslim ones, are, are not as one-dimensional as Sam Harris likes to portray. Like, like he's seeming to get the psychology of putting on a brave face for the camera and not letting your enemies get satisfaction out of killing your loved ones. He seems to understand that this is not about people literally loving death all around them. But then he takes it to some other absurd as fuck place, of course, in, in a way that only Eric could. The richness of this problem, where Hamas is effectively the mother in a Munchausen by proxy situation. <laughs> what the fuck? What? Munchausen syndrome by proxy is the old term for a form of abuse where a person either fakes or produces symptoms in someone else, usually their child. Like, what? What is? what has that got to do with anything here? Where is he going with this? Is this his roundabout way of pushing the gross and by now very thoroughly debunked Hollywood conspiracy theory that alleges Palestinians are just faking their deaths and injuries for sympathy? Is this his way to sound smarter than the average hateful conspiracy theory? while he pushes the same shit because come on on one hand he's admitting we're going to be seeing more children being pulled out of the rubble but on the other hand apologies for my terrible flu voice god i sound awful um but i just wanted to pop in here uh because i was listening back to it and i thought i needed to clarify that yes, uh, Munchausen syndrome by proxy can in fact involve either faking symptoms or causing them. Regardless though, especially with the horrendous Hollywood narrative in existence and being floated currently, it's easily misinterpreted what Eric is trying to say here. And of course, in true Eric fashion, not entirely clear what his point even is. Like, yeah, he's trying to blame Hamas for whatever harm comes to the innocent people of Palestine and fully exonerate Israel. But this is just such a strange way to go about doing it. On one hand, he's admitting 
we're going to be seeing more children being pulled out of the rubble. But on the other hand, he's inserting Munchausen syndrome by proxy into it. Where Hamas is effectively the mother in a Munchausen by proxy situation, right? And the children, you damn straight, you're going to be pulling babies out of that rubble because that's what Hamas wants. And Israel cannot figure out how to extricate herself from this dance of death. And Israel cannot figure out how to extricate herself from this dance of death. Oh, you see, that, that is that classic abuser line. Like, look what you made me do. Kill thousands of babies. Poor, poor Israel, who's trapped in a dance of death. Is that why they rejected multiple deals for, for the hostages before reaching the current one? Is that why they weren't listening to the concerned families of the hostages, begging them to stop indiscriminately bombing an area where their loved ones were being held? Also interesting to note, the weird, archaic, fashy almost, feminine personification of Israel here cannot figure out how to extricate herself from this dance of death. A slight hint of painting Israel as a damsel in distress, even. It's, it's amazing stuff, really. I don't think I've seen any country do this much blatant killing of innocent civilians and then pose as the victim in this situation, you know? And its apologists really just repeat that stuff with so much dedication. I cannot even begin to put myself in the place of trying to make excuses for Saudi Arabia's horrendous human rights violations, especially through painting it as some sort of victim. It just blows my mind. You have a very unconventional foe in Hamas and in, and in totalitarian Islam and in, and in jihad and, and in ISIS and al-Qaeda. They are terrorists. They are acting outside the scope of normal human behavior. Does he think school shooters are conventional foes? They, does he think serial killers in the West are conventional foes? I mean, of course, Islamist terrorists are vile and abhorrent, like any other terrorist. And the jihad element is one they draw from religion, so of course it's unique to them. But are they the only kind of murderers that kill with the intent of dying themselves? No. I'd say that people who do shootings and plan on getting killed by a cop exhibit that mentality too. This is just part of their continued attempt to portray Islam and Muslims, by extension, as a unique evil. It turns real fast into a slippery slope that includes more and more people. If they aren't extremists, they are people who support extremists. If they don't support jihad directly, they at least religiously subscribe to the idea of martyrdom and therefore love it when their family members are killed. He's conjuring an enemy so monstrous and deranged, so foreign and barbaric to civilized Western minds that they cannot comprehend an enemy such as this. You see, he goes from Hamas to ISIS and honestly fuck them, but then he mentions totalitarian Islam, a vague term, and I'm not saying totalitarian Islam is great, however you define it, it's going to be horrendous, uh, but it would probably include, say, all of Saudi Arabia, you could argue, many, many Arabic countries, Pakistan, some Orientalist bombers wet dream. Now, I lived in both Saudi and Pakistan, and I spent every moment I could, speaking as vocally as I could, keeping my safety in mind, 
in opposition to such totalitarian Islam. And there were thousands of people just like me, I'm sure, who oppose it, some safe enough to speak and others not. But from the outside, justifications like this are threatening to include all of us. It's like, you know, on a smaller scale, when people say awful things about it being good, if Texas suffers the consequences of its politics or whatever, because it's a conservative state, they deserve it. It's like, no, no, there's lots of different kinds of people there. And when you make these broad statements, you're including people that are marginalized in those situations and marginalizing them even further. Trying to single out Islam as a unique foe, especially in these times, just seems very dangerous to me. And for some reason, mainstream media refuses to show us the images that they showed us during the Vietnam War through mainstream outlets. If you saw what I've seen, if, if, you, if you watched the Hamas videos, the ISIS videos, the if you read the beak, if you did any of this stuff, you'd be sick to your stomach, you'd be a changed person. And we don't have that. I remember that the night my parents turned off the TV during the Vietnam War. So one of my earliest memories, I believe it was GI's heads on pikes carried by the North the Viet Cong. You're, you're watching American severed heads on sticks. If you think about all the Pulitzer Prize-winning photographs from the Vietnam era, right? you're watching a monk burned to death. You're watching a street execution right to the head. You're watching naked children with their children with their clothes burned off from napalm. You didn't see Falling Man. The most famous picture from 9-11 was basically not shown in the United States. There is this layer that is determined to push a fiction to us. Like, what the fuck is he asking for here? That mainstream media show, like, full-on ISIS beheadings and print ISIS propaganda magazines? Why the fuck? They don't do it, not because they're in some secret alliance with the Muslims to minimize the horrors of Islamic terrorists. It's because they generally don't show that level of violence anymore. Do they show the live streams of white nationalists shooting up mosques? No, they don't. And I, for one, don't think they should be showing extremist violence on mainstream TV. Like, even Eric's own parents had the sense to turn off the TV decades ago, as he said. Was that because of wokeness? No, no, they didn't want to scar their child. And that's a good thing. You didn't see Falling Man. The most famous picture from 9-11 was basically not shown in the United States. There is this layer that is determined to push a fiction to us, which is a transparent fiction about the general nature of Islam you see there it is it starts with jihadism and goes into the general nature of islam which of course paints all muslims as complicit in the crimes of their religion's extremists which is just so cruel and dangerous and unhinged in a, in a time where there is a large-scale campaign to dehumanize and slaughter Muslims currently ongoing in Israel. Anyway, 
folks, that's about all I can manage for today. We are only 30 minutes into this three-hour orgy of ignorance and stupidity. So if you enjoyed this, do let me know. Um, And I can continue going through their conversation in the next episode. Maybe it'll be a two-parter or even a three-parter. So yeah, share your thoughts on the episode so I can use them to craft the next one. Thanks to the wonderful patrons who help make these special miniseries happen. If you aren't one yet, please consider supporting the show to help keep it going. I cannot do this without you, really. And what we've done is we've come up with this this childlike concept of an oppressed people and a religion of peace, and all of this stuff is unworkable. And it's all mind control and it's all propaganda. And what my feeling is, again, is I don't want to start the conversation from where I think you guys want to start it from. I want to start from the fact that none of us are prepared to have this conversation. Thanks for listening to Woking Up. You can support this show by sharing it or via patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian Mangoes. And a special thanks to Intellectual Dark Wave for helping out on the musical front.